Bandwidth for Erotic Awakening podcasts made possible by WickedlyNoir.com, crafting erotic greeting cards to let your lover know just how aroused they make you. Wickedly Noir cards have exceptional quality erotic and fetish images with the perfect expression of the lust you feel. Go to WickedlyNoir.com for the perfect adult-themed greeting card. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an educational and entertaining exploration of all things erotic. From sacred sexuality to fetishes, power exchange relationships and leather life, BDSM to polyamory, as well as simply fun kink. Each week, we bring you a diverse offering of erotic life in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. If you are offended by this type of content or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hello, fellow adventurers of sexuality and spirit, and welcome to Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington. This monthly show, appearing on the third Monday of the month, explores the intersections of sexuality, spirituality, kink, romanticism, and everything else that just kind of comes across the desk, as you know sometimes. During the past two months, I've gone out into the world without a map, out into the internet with my own thoughts, concepts, and ideas. I've journeyed from gratitude to romance, freedom to world travels, the challenges in life to where we sit with tribe. And it's been different than where I used to go for the first nine weeks of the nine months of the podcast. Excuse me, nine months. I was before announcing ahead of time who our guests were going to be or what the topic was going to be so people could write in ahead of time. But I've been getting really good feedback from kind of going out on my own adventure. So we're going to try to do that again. This time, I'm back to one of the favorite things that I love to do, absolutely adore doing, which is interviewing people that I find fascinating, interesting, funny, or complex. And this time, I'm really delighted for discussing that intersection between spirituality and sexuality to invite to my podcast, Asterix. Hi, Lee. I am so glad that I could be here. I've been a follower for, of the podcast for a while, and I really look forward to talking about these topics with you. Fantastic. So, for people who don't know Asterix, he is a really fascinating character. I grabbed your bio ahead of time, so I hope you'll bear with me as I kind of pour through everything. (laughs) Do your worst. All right, let's bring it on. So, Asterix is a presenter, kinkster, and body modification enthusiast, and he's also an explorer of the otherworldly, who's been part of both the pagan and BDSM scenes for over a decade. He's, an active, he's actively engaged right now with teaching classes on kink, facilitating scenes, doing profound rituals, and chronicling his experience for the BDSM community. Asterix has worked and facilitated rituals with leading figures of the pagan and spirit working communities specifically, such as Raven Caldera, Wintersong Toshlin, Galena Krasakova, and Anya Kles. He's a member of Clan Toshlin and has played an active role in shaping that clan's direction since it was founded. Over the past year, Asterix has been a frequent site for the Seattle uh, Center for Sex Positive Culture, which is one of my favorite places, absolutely adore them, and has been part of their TNG Rain City excursions. His newest passion is creating a space to chronicle the transformative experience for those who have been working with body modification and kink uh, to uh, kind of experience their own personal journeys and exaltation. That website, for people who are interested, and we'll include this in the podcast notes, is Cartographers of transgression.wordpress.com. However, 
Asterisk is here uh, today and for this podcast because he and I have been friends um, and also spiritual co-explorers, I think is a, is a good term, for a number of years now. And we also share a profound passion for the works of Daniel Quinn and Michael, Co- Michael Pollan, which is great. Yay. And uh, we're also both environmentalists from a spiritual perspective, not just a, a theoretical perspective, which is a, a nice thing I enjoy uh, as well between us. And we're also big international travel enthusiasts. So welcome, welcome, welcome. So let's get started, shall we? I'd love to. All right. So you and I were texting back and forth ahead of time because we're both a bit of social media mavens from time I, to time. Addictive. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, FetLife. Uh, oh God, what else are we on right now? I'm on Audioboo. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. I've got friends who are trying to get me onto that system, but... <sighs> It's overwhelming, but you want more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And I think we could have an entire conversation about the notion of social media and its effect on sexuality and effects on tribal culture, but maybe... maybe We could write books about that, (laughs) and there probably have been. There probably have been, it's true. But when we were talking ahead of time on, uh, on text message, we were talking about the notion of love and sustainability. And looking at uh, relationships and looking at the notion of how sustainability from an environmental perspective kind of ties into this thing we do in polyamory, in kink, in BDSM, and in body modification communities as well, as well as this notion of sustainability of culture. And the first thing that you brought up, which I think was an interesting place to start from, is the notion of game theory. So I'm wondering if you could kind of explain this for people who aren't aware of game theory. Well, okay, the perspective I'm coming to this is a wonderful book called Finite and Infinite Games, which was written in, I believe, the 1960s. And it's a philosophical and political theory book about perspectives on the world and specifically relating to game theory. So much in politics that we look at are zero-sum games, Mm -hmm. where there's a winner, there's a loser, and that's that. That's the end. And the perspective that the author of this book brings is that life isn't really like that. Mm. We are in an infinite game where the life will continue on regardless of whether the current event of the day is a win or a lose for presidential candidate X or presidential candidate Y. And this is something that really interested me because I feel that that perspective of looking at the long term will increase the number of projects that we do that are sustainable, that Mm -hmm. last uh, a long time. And the specific reason I mentioned it is, although the author spends a lot of time in the book talking about politics and philosophy and religion, there's a little bit that he talks where he talks about relationships and how love should be an infinite game, where we should be bringing the perspective to our relationships and our love that this is not something that is an open and shut book. I mean, we look out in our culture and we think, oh gosh, my that there's that hot girl over there, but she has a boyfriend, so I can't be with her. Or this relationship I had is now done and I must never speak to this person. Maybe best case, we can be distant friends. 
And if we bring a more playful attitude and look at our relationships as something that are cycles that we move through in our life, I just feel like we can make our relationships more meaningful and more sustainable. Yeah, I've, I've been sitting a lot recently with having talked to people as I travel and whatnot with the fact that I, I meet a lot of people who say, oh, God, I can't believe I wasted the past six years of my life. Or I can't believe I, you know, that, that I, I, I should have been doing, or why didn't I get involved with canker polyamory or whatever 30 years ago, if only I'd been able to do that instead of being able to look at how these have all been different cycles in their life that they literally could not have been where they are now without having experienced those things before. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Like, well, I'm certainly not one to tell a person, you know, you're wrong, mm. you haven't wasted your life. But I do feel like you, if you're coming into the kink scene after, you know, not knowing about it for many years, you come to it, you, you bring a perspective that someone who's very young and coming into it can't possibly bring. Mm. You might be able to bring a kind of a patience, the gravitas, and wholeheartedness mm. that someone who is in their late teens, early 20s can't bring. They, they're still figuring out what it's like to be an adult. And you can come and participate in the scene or in, um, or in a new relationship that, in a way that someone who hadn't had those experiences one couldn't possibly bring to it. Well, when you were talking before about the notion of game theory, one of the things that really struck me was the idea that, uh, that, it's, not, that it's not a winner or a loser situation. And I see that sometimes happening both with spirituality populations and with sexuality populations, that idea that, you know, if they get something, I lose something. If that part of the population is winning, then my part of the population is losing. Or even in interpersonal relationships, oh, if I couldn't see that person that I'm obviously losing and whoever got to be with that person was somehow the magical winner in the game of Yahtzee, right? Is that kind of where you're coming from with it? Or is it? am I kind of taking it on a different direction? No, no, that that's absolutely where I'm coming from. Okay. And it's something I've certainly struggled with myself personally is investing so much in a relationship because I think, oh my gosh, if I don't do this now, then it's never going to happen. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Or if I don't do this now, then... Oh my gosh, was it was it meant to be? Will I regret it for the rest of my life? And the perspective I've come to now in the place where I'm in my life is that I live a life in the hands of the gods. Mm -hmm. And by that, I don't mean I just passively move through the world, but I accept that fate has an important part to play in my life. And it's a part that needs to be respected. And for example, using what we talked about before, if there was someone out there who was with a, another partner and I thought, oh gosh, I, my life is over because I can't be with them right now. And I have this amazing connection with them. 
I would sort of stay, take a step back and say, okay, what has, what is fate saying about this? Mm. Maybe this isn't, this isn't a bad thing because I have all of these other opportunities. And that's not, you know, that's not going to assuage me in the midst of my crush, but it's this perspective that I found that's useful. I, uh, Aiden and I were on a bus ride from Baltimore, uh, back to, I think it was Baltimore. Anyway, we were on a travel on a bus and we ended up running into this couple who was coming to, we were going, that's right, we were going from New York down to Baltimore for the Master Slave Conference. And we ran to this couple who was wearing shirts from Austin and I'm like, oh, keep Austin weird, yay! Kind of, you know, shout out to all my Austin friends, all that kind of stuff. And they're wearing the shirt, you know, shirts that say keep Austin weird, so we started a conversation because I was in Austin not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And during that conversation, we find out that the two of them have known each other since they were six years old. And we're like, really? That's really cool. So you guys have been together for how long? And they said, oh, less than a year. Whoa. And we're like, wait, what do you mean? They're like, well, we were elementary and middle school sweethearts. And even like even had crushes on each other into the beginning of high school. But then our lives went really different directions really different directions, different, you know, life approaches, you know, she was a cheerleader or something like that, he ended up going into electronics, and, like, all these very different directions with life, and it was really interesting to hear that they just, you know, she went off and got married to someone else, he went off and had multiple relationships, and here they were in their late 40s, and they randomly ran into each other on Facebook, and that notion you were talking about of bringing a new maturity to it, but also that notion of fate tied in where they ran to each other on Facebook and they're like, oh, let's strike up a conversation. And literally within two months, both of them were like, you, where I am in my life now, you make sense. You make perfect sense. You would have made no sense to me 10 years ago. Both of them said that, that if we'd come into each other's lives when we were in our early thirties, it wouldn't have made any sense. But when they ran to each other in their forties, suddenly after two months, they're both like, no, really, this is exactly what it needs to be. And they'd been together less than six months when, when he proposed marriage to her. That's a beautiful story. And I, I absolutely agree. And I also feel like it's, we need to be able to accept that, mm. to accept that now is not the right time. And then that doesn't need to be an agonizing or wrenching thing. It's especially as we are going into a time when people, you know, given good luck are living longer and longer and living healthier longer and longer. I have a similar story. I know or knew a woman who met, who was uh, high school sweethearts. Uh, had a high school sweetheart and exactly the same thing happened. They just, it wasn't right for them to be together in college. And then they got together and got married when they were in their 80s. Wow. Reconnected after 60 years. And you can, it can be time, it can be distance, but I feel like, you know, romantic comedies tell us that (laughs) there is the one true love and... You know, you only have one chance to get this right. And I really think we need to move away from that. Well, have you, thinking of movies and romantic comedies, have you seen Scenes of a Sexual Nature starring Ewan McGregor? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh. So Ewan McGregor is actually like the sixth character down the line, but everybody else is, you know, actors who most people haven't heard of. Yeah. Well, English, small-time actors, and it was an indie film. 
But there's what you were talking about. They ran into each other in their 80s. There was uh, there's a scene because it's the plot lines of four different you know pairs of people and mm-hmm. how they interweave with each other and how they all end up running into each other yeah. all in one park in one afternoon. Yeah, and this old woman who's in her 80s, you know, somewhere between you know late 70s to early 90s, is sitting on this park bench, and a uh, guy comes and sits down next, and she's you know at this park bench for most of the morning. And comes down and sit, the guy comes and says, hey, can I share the bench with you? And she's like, fine, whatever. Gentleman in her same age bracket. And she eventually, like, they eventually re- start revealing to their stories to each other. And she goes, yeah, I, I've actually been coming to this exact park bench every single Wednesday for the last, you know, 60 years because I had I made out with the boy of my dreams. And I've never seen him since then because he was, you know, going off to some other part of his life. But I've been as a, try, hoping that I'd run into him again. I've been coming here every single Wednesday since then, hoping that I'd run into him. And he said, the guy paused and says, it's not Wednesday. And she said, what? And he's like, it's Tuesday. She's like, no, I'm fairly certain that it's Wednesday. And he's like, no, it's not. It's Tuesday. And she goes, what? And he's like, I know it's Tuesday because I'm coming here every single Tuesday because I've been coming here for the last 60 years. <laughs> waiting for the girl of my dreams to show up and she's like we met each other on a wednesday and why are you here anyway if it's on a tuesday and so it's this very cute little interaction where they both realize they've gotten the day wrong or whatever it was right and so they decide to walk up the hill together Mm -hmm. and you know walk from there to a different view to just kind of get a different view of life and halfway up the hill as he's talking about what's going on for him and they're both talking about the different people they married and the kids they've had and all that kind of stuff she actually stops and says I, I think I need to go now. And he said, but I found you. After 60 years, I finally found you. She went, no, I, I realized that you found your dream and that I have run into my dream, but you're not my dream. You're a real man of flesh and blood. You're a real person, and I've been projecting a thing mm-hmm. that is not you. I've been projecting a story of a boy that I once loved for the last 60 years, And of course you can't be him anymore. We're both somewhere else. And to me, that notion of combining that idea that, you know, fate happens and whatnot, but also with our projections, is this fate or is this a story that we've been just perpetuating onward and onward? And in that notion of sustainability, which you brought up earlier, how can we actually have sustainable agriculture, sustainable environmentalism, sustainable relationships, sustainable cultures, if all we're doing is projecting a story instead of looking at the realities of who and what we are? Well, I think that's the most, um, act- the most important problem when we talk about sustainability is the narrative, the story that we tell ourselves mm. about our culture. And briefly, I, I feel like I really should define what I'm talking about when I say sustainability. I, when I say sustainability, I am talking about meeting a present need without compromising the need of the future. Okay. A future me or a future intellectual or romantic or environmental need. Right. And... I think the point that you've hit on is 
absolutely the most crucial one that we can ever emphasize in our goal to be uh, sustainable, and especially when it comes to environmental sustainability, right. is the necessity of changing the narrative. And the narrative we've had for a long time, or I should say the narrative our culture has had for a long time, is that rising standards of living and economic growth and uh, untempered resource use are progress without significant detriments. Mm. And there are a whole bunch of other attitudes and um, ideas that are tied in with the, the story that we're enacting. And if we want to be environmentally sustainable, not just in token manners by sp splashing uh, solar panels on rich people's houses, <laughs> if we want to be environmentally sustainable truly over the long term, the most important thing we have to do is change the story that we're enacting. Hmm. Well, and one of the things that you and I have talked about in that direction is the notion of different ways that people approach being green, for example. So could you, would you be willing for people who are listening to kind of frame out those different types of green? Sure, yes. yeah. And I got this and adapted this from a wonderful resource that I would recommend to everybody called World Changing. It's, uh, I believe the website is still worldchanging.com. But we'll double-check that and post it to the Yes, and, but it's, it's called World Changing, primarily headed by a wonderful man uh, named Alex Steffen, who came up with these different ways of describing ideas and perspectives on environmentalism and environmental sustainability. And he divides it up, and this is my memory and my interpretation, so don't quote me on this exactly, but... <laughs> or quote it to you as compared or, yeah, to... Or, yeah, or credit yeah. me, don't credit him without checking. <laughs> but there are people who I would call light greens, mm -hmm. and these are people who believe in the idea of environmentalism, the, the idea that the non-human world is worth saving, and actually engaged in doing this, and they're doing things at the level of personal responsibility, um, you know, maybe working on energy efficiency, maybe installing different light bulbs. And they're doing it because they feel like it's the right thing to do. Mm. It's just, you know, it's just the right thing to do. The second group I would talk about are people who identify as bright greens. Okay. And these are people who believe that the environment is worth saving because it's the smart thing to do. Mm. Because things like uh, climate change, uh, peak oil, peak water are coming in some form or another at some point, probably pretty soon. And the smart thing to do is to invest a lot of money in technology and to build a brighter future, ah, which is envir yeah, in yeah. environmentally friendly. Right. So this is a lot of the people who are investing in uh, 
in creating like the the all of the plot like the woods that are all made out of sustainable materials and building houses out of things that can actually be you know be long-term sustainable exactly and, yeah. these are people who are talking about you know infrastructure like wind power and okay. solar power on a big scale some of them are even talking about uh geoengineering sort of a technology focused uh, approach to environmentalism and right. saving saving the planet got it the third group i talk about are people i would call dark greens and these are people who are very deeply engaged in the idea of environmentalism and often feel like a lot of the ways that uh, we in our culture are living won't work. And so it, many, but not all of them, are not super enthusiastic about capitalism. Um, some of them are what I would call sort of back to the land people who are interested in going back to a way before there was lots of technology in our lives. But sort of the theme I see when I look at them is that they are doing this because we have no choice. Hmm. So the notion there is that the pale greens, I just just kind of sum up, I'm yep. sure I'm on the right page, is that the pale greens are folks that feel like they should do this. Yes. The bright greens think that, that there's it's the smart thing to do, and the dark greens feel that there is no real choice but to do this. Yes. Okay. That's that's, that's, that's my, my interpretation. interpretation. So if that's the case, and we've got like these three different, you know, vibrancies of green. What are your thoughts on applying this notion to different vibrancies of either the pagan community or the body mod community or the kink community? Do you think these models could apply? I think you'll find different uh, colors of green within all of the communities you mentioned. Mm. And I feel like there are connections uh, connections with all of them. I definitely see people in the King community who are very enthusiastic about technology yeah. and gadgets in the same way that uh, bright green folks are. But the way I, I start to think about uh, these ideas of environmentalism and sustainability within the sex communities is the attitudes and perspectives they bring on relationships. Now, I'm not going to be arguing that people in these communities are inherently more environmentally sustainable. In fact, often the exact opposite. But I do believe that these communities have belief, beliefs which lend themselves to being environmentally friendly if mm. one were to so choose it. For example... In the kink community, the idea of having good boundaries and having the awareness of limits is very important. I mean, mm. safe, sane, and consensual is part of the BDSM 101, which everybody gets, or hopefully, or lots of people uh, are introduced to when they come into the right. scene. And... One of the most famous uh, books on environmental sustainability is called Limits to Growth. <laughs> and 
I feel okay. like the idea of the acceptance of limits and the necessity of being aware of what our boundaries or what our horizons are mm. is something that can really lend itself to uh, sustainability. The second thing that I feel lends itself to sustainability is within the kink community, by and large, there's no one way to be. Mm. I mean, you don't have people who are, you know, in heavy into the DS, shaking their fingers, and the people who are mostly into it for the sadism and masochism saying, that's, you're doing it wrong, you can't do that. That's, that, if that's not right, we think you're a horrible person because you're doing this stuff with pain. And... I feel like that's another aspect that really lends itself to being environmentally uh, sustainable because part of the story that I feel our culture is enacting that makes us environmentally unsustainable is that we are saying there is one right way to live mm. where you have a um, you have a house and you have a job and etc etc etc. The third area that I th we touched on a little bit before is the flow of relationships and having an ability to be flexible with our relationships. And I feel like our relationships should be like poi moves, moves mm. where you're spinning poi, where you're in one cycle where you're spinning the poi one way and then you can move into another way. And it's kind of this, this infinite cycle of, um, of circles. And when I look at say the poly community and the people who really impress me in that area is they approach their relationships like that. This, this is, this is an infinite flow of change and evolution into relationships changing relationships, maybe out of relationships. And if we aren't set, if we aren't too rigid and can bring that to our approach to environmental sustainability, I feel that can be a lot healthier in the way we interact with stuff, for example, not being so rigid about having to have all of this stuff, which needs to stay in one place, mm. which has to be in one way. That's interesting. I, uh, I'm my, my brain and heart right now are sitting with the notion of where does, you know, cause you're talking about the notion of, of, of being judgment free, mm -hmm. right? Of there, there isn't one true way and that we need to apply that to life at large and to our approaches to environmentalism and our approaches to relationships and mm -hmm. all that. But that hasn't been my experience with a lot, uh, with not a lot, but with swaths of the kink community, I've seen that there, there is still a desire for a one true way or a projection of somebody's true way onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. And as I'm, I'm sitting with that notion, where it comes to in, in my head is the, the idea of, well, is that a story? It comes full circle, right? Is that a mm -hmm. story that's stopping us from being able to bear witness to the diversity on this planet? The emotional diversity, the environmental diversity, the spiritual diversity, all of those kinds of things. Like, are these stories of a one true wayism across the board blocking us from that potential? I would, first of all, I would sadly 
agree with you that in the kink community and the BDSM community, there there is a a lot of people who are not as enthusiastic about diversity as I would want. However, I contrast that with the people who aren't interested in BDSM, and I see often even less of an interest That's in fair. diversity. If we look at this as a percentages game, as compared, you know, percentages or just sheer numbers game, it is a, a better percentage. Yeah. I would say in a lot of the both the pagan and the BDSM communities, and it doesn't mean that there's not you know the occasional intolerant human being in any of those populations. Of course there is. It's part of the current story of humanity. Um, and it kind of saddens me that I say, of course there is. Yeah. Because I, I long to dream a day where that is not the case, where we all can live in each other, you know, with, live beyond each other's stories. Yeah. But there's a part of me that has a cynicism right now. I can, I can completely understand that. Yeah, there's a... You know, other media reference that still makes me laugh right now and it's it's one of the the ones that I think could hopefully apply mm-hmm. is Brothers Bloom uh, movie Brothers Bloom which is a, another romantic comedy mm-hmm. and there's a, a moment and it's the idea of it is is that there's two con artists that are going after a rich girl and there's a scene near the end of the movie where one of the brothers says you don't understand the best con is the one where everyone thinks they've won and that notion of sustainability I look forward to a day and maybe that day is tomorrow, and maybe that day is today, mm-hmm. right? But I look forward to a day when somebody goes, I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to save that spotted owl. I totally win by doing that, <laughs> right? Where everybody goes, oh, that's fantastic. I'm turning off my water too. And know what that let me do? That let me do the other following things. I, uh, I've had that happen in polyamorous relationships because we talk about the mm-hmm. notion of compersion, mm-hmm. right? That There's a, a definition out there for... Uh, how would you define compersion? The... Oh, gosh. I get compersion and trouble confused. They're the same thing, basically, okay. from my understanding. Okay. The joy you feel in a... in another partner's joy. Mm, especially okay. when... Um, Especially when that other partner is playing or being with somebody else. It's, you know, sitting at home while your partner is out on a date thinking, oh, I'm so excited she's he or she is with a total hottie and they're having so much fun and just being happy in that moment that your partners are out to, are doing something else. Right, and I've had some people who've said to me, I could never be in a polyamorous relationship. The notion of compersion, my jealousy factor is too high. I just don't go there. Mm-hmm. And I had a moment happen with a lover of mine in the Bay Area where, uh, you know, he and I went on a date. Everything was lovely. The next night, uh, you know, passes. It's now two days afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I'm at a coffee shop and his one of his other lovers comes up to me and goes, oh, my God, you make great guacamole. And I'm like, what? And she and she said to me that she was one of those people that did not believe in compersion, does not mm-hmm. believe in frubble, does not believe in any of these notions. Mm-hmm. But she had come over for dinner the night after I'd come over. Mm-hmm. And the two of them, you know, he and she were cuddled up and watching a movie. And he brought out the fresh salsa and fresh guacamole that mm-hmm. I'd made the night before. And she's eating them. She's like, oh, where'd you buy these? And he's like, no, no, Lee made these. And she just paused and went, really? He makes really good guacamole. And for the first time, she actually had, a, had an actual tangible reason that polyamory works. That polyamory didn't just work, but made her life better. 
And I would love to live in a world where when we deal with environmentalism, no, really, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's not just a thing we have to do, but it's a thing that makes everyone win. Everyone and everything win. Yeah. That, that would delight me. Yeah. There are actually examples of this. Uh, the specific example that immediately comes to mind is this relationship that businesses came up with in a European country, uh, the name of which I am is escaping me right now. And there's a city that has a, a coal power plant. And there were deliberations and dilemmas about what to do with uh, the, the, some of the waste products that come through the coal plant. And it was very pollution. There was mm -hmm. a lot of pollution. And what do we do this? Do where, What landfill can we put to it? How do we handle this? And because of the way, um, because of the culture, because of a variety of things, but not because of regulation or mandated or anything, hmm. a set of businesses in that community stepped up and actually looked at how to handle the different product products that are coming into and out of this coal plant. So there was a company that needed sulfur and sulfur um, a, a product a product of sulfur happens to be one of the waste products from this coal plant. There was a company that needed certain kind of gas, which ended up, uh, they found out, was a, sci a waste product of this coal plant. So you had this whole community which sprung up around taking advantage of the... Uh, of the so-called waste from this coal plant and everybody benefited right. the all of the businesses were able to improve their economic outlook the pollution was less the community was less everybody benefited and that touches on an idea that i think is really important to emphasize is that waste is a concept that especially when it comes to products I have issue with. There should be no waste. Waste is food. And a huge step towards becoming environmentally friendly is 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 accepting that, that mm. waste is food, that there is no place or no product which should be just pushed off and forgotten, that we can take advantage of every waste product. And I feel like that's applicable to relationships in some Absolutely. way. And this ties back to what we were talking about, wasting time, wasting, you know, time in a relationship. There's no such thing as wasted time. <laughs> no, I, I totally hear that. And yet it's something that I hear people talk about the, oh yeah, we just wasted a couple of hours. And I actually had that happen earlier this year where I had surgery back in November mm -hmm. and I, last November, and I was talking to my, a friend of mine, Brent, who uh, is somebody that's appeared on various parts of my, my journals a number of times because he's one of those people that smashes my brain against a rock and see what happens and in a loving way, right? Like he, he tends to shake up my brain and see what comes out the other side. And I was mentioning to him like, oh, 
I've been out of, you know, I haven't done any work for three weeks. I've been doing nothing but recovery. I'm totally wasting all my time. All I've been able to do is watch movies. And he's like, no, you've been very, very busy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been like in bed rest. I've been unable to get out of bed other than to pee. What are you talking about? He's like, no, you've been very busy knitting, cellularly knitting. And it's just like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And it led me to, to comparing it, actually, with uh, something that Lolita Wolf told me. That she and I were going to be driving somewhere. Like, oh, okay, we'll find some way to occupy the time. And she went, no, we're driving there together. That means we get to have excellent conversations in the car. There is no wasted time. And I see that happening in sexuality communities on occasion where it's starting to like grow out that no, really, people want to be on the setup and tear down crew for events because they get to spend excellent time with people and they get to totally dork out and build tighter knit parts of their community because these are the eight guys and the three women and, you know, for the setup. And these are the, the eight people that are running registration. And these are the whatever that actually get to be more immersive in the experience while also happy to get to give back. Yeah. And I think that might, like being aware of that, not wasting, I think could build more sustainable communities. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. And it's about approaching, approaching what you're doing with the perspective of getting the most out of it that you possibly can, mm. of learning, wringing every lesson and experience <laughs> and happiness from every moment that you can. And if you think, wow this was a waste of time you aren't getting you aren't sucking the marrow out of life <laughs> nice and I, I I completely agree though now I, and I love that idea of you're not sucking the marrow out of life that's very visually evocative to me and it also for myself at least it reminds me of you know okay cool I didn't like that class I didn't get anything profound out of that pagan ritual that I went to. I had that moment where I went to Barbara Carellis's class on tantric woo breathing, and all I got out of it, it was kind of feeling vaguely itchy laying on the grass, right? Like, but that doesn't mean I didn't get anything out of it. It means that I now have language for the next time to kind of like spark the fire. And and I completely agree because where we go on our journey is not just about finding the thing that attracts us. It's about figuring out which ways we don't want to go. Oof, fair. And That's if fair. we, every time we go to an event like that or we have an experience like that, you, we learn another thing about us that makes us so much better and so much faster at figuring out what kind of things do attract us, what kind of things do want us, where do we want to go, as long as we don't dismiss it. And just as, as long as we say, okay, I didn't like this experience or I didn't connect with it for these reasons and it applies in this way to what I actually want to do, instead of saying, oh, that was a waste of time. Right, and just waste, and literally wasting it. Yeah. Right. Where there is no positive byproduct, there is no free cycle of our emotional experience. Because <laughs> right? I think there should be. We should be able to have some sort of free cycle system in our. And God, there's some poly communities that constantly have a free cycle, but that's its own yeah, conversation. Uh, one last thing mm -hmm. I want to ask before we kind of sure, wrap it on sure. up 
is that I was reading recently the description for a class you did at Dark Odyssey Summer Camp, which was called Aftercare for Spirituality and Cathartic Scenes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really jumped out at me was you were saying uh, at the end of the description, whether you are someone new to exploring sexuality, spirituality, and catharsis, or whether you are someone who can recite, uh, whether you can recite uh, radical ecstasy backwards and forwards, you are welcome to join us or something along those lines. Yeah. And for folks who haven't read it at home, Radical Ecstasy is by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, but it made me curious. Sexuality and spirituality resources. If you were to offer a couple, what jump out at you as ones that you know, you've been really inspired by, whether it's websites, books, anything that you've been jumping out at recently around sexuality and spirituality. Okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to show my biases here. Feel free. And I know that there are tons and tons of books out there on things, um, I, I hear people say good things about Annie Sprinkle, and I hear... Give me your passions. My passions. I, I am a sadist and a masochist, so mm-hmm. you will, you will hear uh, a lot about that. I, I really like, um, I really like your book mm. on Sacred Kink. Uh, I like, and I like the, uh, anthology that you put out, uh, Spirit of Desire. Yeah, some really amazing authors who contributed to that project. Yeah. And I like, um, uh, we said Radical Ecstasy. I love uh, Dark Moon Rising mm, by Raven, Raven Caldera. Caldera is a yeah. great one. Um, there's another one called Sacred Pain. Okay. And um, I hope you'll put up the notes because oh, I absolutely. feel like the name is Ariel Glukich. Or it's, Gluk- I, I, yeah, I read that when I was doing like a that. project on self-injury. So yes. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting perspective. For me, I like some of uh, the books, and especially f- uh, picture books uh, that Fakir Musafar has yes. uh, put out, although it's not quite as much explicitly sexual. I feel like there's some interesting things that I learned. Um, and I'd actually say I don't rave about uh, life groups often, but I do feel like um, there are a couple of groups on FetLife. If you just do a search on spirituality and pain, um, you can find them, and hopefully we can put them up in the uh, podcast notes that are, that are, you know, they're not too bad. Cool. And then the flip side of that is, if people were only to read three to four environmentalism books, what would be your juiciest points right now? Okay, I would read Cradle to Grave by William McDonough and other person that I can't remember. <laughs> um Podcast notes. Yeah. I would read The Ecology of Commerce by Paul Hawken, and I would read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Mm. Yeah. Ishmael was stunning. Yep. Yeah. And I do want to mention, I'm sorry about it, resources on sexuality and spirituality. We talk about books, but so much of what I've learned has been through conferences mm. and events. It's Specifically, I'll, I'll plug Dark Odyssey, mm. and that's sort of geographically based, but if you can make it out, I would. It, it's something where I learned a lot. Yeah, if you're not on, because uh, those are all on the East Coast in the greater D.C., Maryland area, uh, there's a group down in Fort Myer, Florida that's also doing some really fantastic crossover work. 
Twisted Tryst, which takes place in Indiana and Wisconsin, is doing some really fascinating crossover stuff in uh, Ohio. You've got the Adventures in Sexuality crew doing some really fantastic stuff. Uh, Butchman's Academy down in Arizona. And uh, there's a couple of groups in the Northwest that are doing some things as well. So it's really interesting to see how different regions are picking things up. And if I remember correctly, coming up in the next few weekends, uh, they... uh, well, actually, Halloween weekend, if you're in New York, is the Sacred Sexuality Roundup, which is going to be happening here. And then over in London, if we have any uh, UK listeners right now, there is a uh, Sexuality, Spirituality, and Pleasure crossover conference that's happening that uh, I happen to know about because a friend of mine, uh, London Ferry, is one of the coordinators for it. So that's we'll try to put these all in the podcast notes for people who are all over the U.S. and the U.K. And as a note, if you are listening, uh, if you have other events, other books, other things that you would love to plug, I've been constantly updating my Sacred Kink resource guide online, and I would love further ideas. So please send those my way. Asterisk, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking me. I'm honored. Yum, yum, yum. And uh, as I mentioned before, for people who have any questions around sexuality, spirituality, kink, gender, connection, whatever, right? Anything you want to ask me, feel free to drop me an email at lee, L-E-E, at passionandsoul.com with the question, the subject line, Ask Lee, and I'll get to him either on the podcast or on my column there at my website. If you want to get a hold of Asric, his website is cartographers, which is C-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-E-R-S of, O-F, transgression, T-R-A-N-S-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N dot wordpress dot com, and he can be found there, uh, or on uh, FetLife as... You, uh, we'll put it up in the notes. Okay, um, fantastic, because it's spelled some interesting way, yes. right? I love yeah. those. Uh, you could also find me, uh, Lee Harrington, anywhere on the internet by pretty much searching for Lee Harrington or Passion and Soul, anywhere on FetLife, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, DeviantArt, it's everywhere. And... Thank you. Thank you so much for you who are listening at home or sitting on your commute or who are listening to this covertly while working your nine to five job, wherever you are. Thank you for joining us, fellow adventurers of sexuality and spirit. This has been Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington. And until next time, stay cool, have fun, be authentically you, and don't do anything that your spirit doesn't move you to do. Have a fantastic journey.